And you are listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota, Clearwater, uh, Community Conscious Radio. Hi, I'm Mary Glenning. And I'm Arlene Engelhart. And you are listening to From a Woman's Point of View. Go ahead, Arlene. Pardon? Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, I know you have some interesting things planned this morning, and I think it's great how much the Tampa Bay Times watches out for these issues and carries information, too. Um, Hurricanes, lightning, flooding, and tornadoes affect the entire state of Florida, and the team of meteorologists from the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network keep you informed around the clock. All year long, we are committed to providing in-depth weather coverage both over the radio and on the mobile app Florida Storms. The Florida Public Radio Emergency Network is supported by WMNF and Citizens Property Insurance. Online at citizensf-l-a.com. I uh, just hearing that about uh, the inhospitality or very very unfavorable conditions for human life on Venus, melting lead. Uh, but actually, it's kind of fascinating now with all of the talk about UFOs and extraterrestrial life <clears throat> and all the possibilities of life in the universe that actually uh, there are a lot of planetary systems where there are possibilities of life. And so it's, it's an exciting time, but, but also uh, thinking in terms of COVID and climate change and the real perils we truly are facing right now, uh, it really behooves us to realize that we are totally dependent on the nature, our air, our water, and without it, uh, na- nature will do fine without us, but we will not do fine without her. And so I think COVID, frankly, to me, has been a wake-up call. Uh, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been more on the lines of Ebola. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, we've got We've had a lot of work cut out for us, but I have no doubt we're up to it because it's going to require us to reach into areas and the depths we didn't know we had. And so I think it's actually going to be a very exciting and I think a very transformative time. And so with that in mind, I'm pretty excited about the show we have planned because our first guest, uh, actually, I'm so proud of the Tampa Bay Times, how really what an excellent resource they are and how they've been covering a very important strip of land for any of you who drive on Fletcher or even if you don't drive on Fletcher because actually it's a wetlands and so those wetlands are the lungs of our planet and they're lungs of our area. So even if you don't drive Fletcher every day and see it uh, very right next to adjoining the U- University of South Florida's golf course, you're uh, being benefiting from it. And so it's that strip of land that the USF administration wants to develop Uh, And uh, students and faculty are fighting hard to prevent that. And so I was able to catch up with uh, Jeannie um, um, Moner, and she is a doctoral student at USF in integrative biology. And she's been one of the leaders in trying to save that track of land. And so we'll be talking to her first. And then just a fabulous uh, person, activist, so involved in this area and in this state, Amy Weintraub after that. So without further ado, let us hear from Jeannie Marner. 
Well, I am so happy to welcome to the show by Jeannie Munger, and she is a doctoral candidate in the Department of Integrative Biology at the University of South Florida, and she's gotten some really important, uh, she's brought our focus to a very important topic, I happen to feel, uh, that I drive by this area all the time. It's a tract, quite a sizable tract of land that the University of South Florida has across Fletcher Avenue, uh, right before you come uh, uh, north side of the university, and there are, she and a bunch of students are trying to fight to save this. So, Jeannie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me on your program. Well, thank you so much for coming. And so, I will buy that track of land just about every day. And, you know, I'm, I'm not aware of all the projects you've had that you're doing there right now and you have been doing. But, you know, it is such a welcome green respite. It's right before the golf, or right after or before the golf course, depending which way you're going. And I think we have so very few little green space here in this whole area that to me it's very essential. But as I understand it, there are also many biology projects that have been going on for years and are still going on. Is that true? Yes, that's correct. Um, not only do we have research projects ongoing within the preserve, but we also uh, teach several classes uh, every semester within the preserve. I teach field botany every spring, and uh, we, we have students coming through every spring teaching them about the, um, the botany, the, the plants within the forest preserve. So it's a very um, heavily utilized preserve by several departments at USF. And also, aren't there remnants of many earlier Native American tribes in this area? Aren't they there, too? Yes, that's correct. Um, in fact, there is a uh, very significant uh, village site that was excavated um, first in the 1930s. And um, that's a very well-known, um, well-documented, and um, crucially important, very significant site um, within the state of Florida. But then there are several other sites all over the property, uh, some that um, archaeologists at USF are aware of and others that haven't been um, taken a look at yet. So there's opportunity for better understanding, um, and, and those opportunities will be lost if um, this property is destroyed for development. Now, how many years have you been working in that area? Well, I have been a um, doctoral student. I'm now a candidate, but I've been a doctoral student since 2016. I'm graduating later this year, um, but I also received my bachelor's degree at USF. So I have been in the integrative biology department since 2014. And I wonder, in that specific tract of land, in other words, I am really curious how many changes you have seen in the time you have been there, because the golf course is right next to it, unless I miss my guess, I imagine USF uses chemicals on their golf course the way most golf courses do. Maybe they're enlightened and they don't. Uh, but also with all the traffic that's on Fletcher, I would imagine you have seen changes in the water, in the soil content in that area just since you've been studying. Is that right? Yes, um, that's correct. So I haven't specifically studied um, soil characteristics. However, there have been other studies done. Um, in fact, a doctoral candidate, another doctoral candidate in our department, Jessica Balerna, and her uh, PhD advisor, David Lewis, did a study looking at um, wetland quality 
uh, between, and carbon storage in particular, between the wetlands that are south of Fletcher Avenue that have been cut off from the preserve versus wetlands that are intact within the preserve. And the wetlands within the preserve are functioning a lot more effectively at storing carbon than the wetlands that have been impacted more significantly by development that are on the USF, um, at the actual Tampa campus on the other side of the road. Uh, so yes, in fact, we can see some of those changes. Um, I think that you're right that the, um, the golf course does use fertilizer on their course. And another impact that we see is invasive species encroachment. Uh, so I have hiked the full corridor along Cypress Creek, which is um, passes through the northern edge of the forest preserve, and um, and we see as you get closer to the to the golf course that there is an increasing density and and more numerous species that are invasive than what you have in the core of the forest preserve. Um, and what our main concern is, or one of our many concerns, I should say is that um, if that golf course is developed more intensely, that we will then see even more invasive species encroachment, even less um, ability for the wetlands to store carbon, and a whole host of associated impacts just from um, more intensely developing the golf course. And that doesn't even start to get at developing the actual preserve. Well, and you see, I think that information, particularly with climate change and the ramifications we're having from climate change, uh, you know, we're already just worried to death about what the hurricane season is going to be, where we have right. storms beyond Category 5. Uh, and also, you know, with COVID, the, most of us are quite aware that this represents climate change. I think it's absolutely critical that you have students that are really studying this because we have, we've got to realize that we cannot continue what we have been doing. And so to me, it's essential because there is a track right there with a very busy highway, a very highly populated area. Uh, impacted by uh, runoff, so to speak, from the golf course and also coming from Fletcher. And to me, that's critical that you have students at a university right here in Florida where we're, we are going to be so impacted by climate change. To me, this is essential. And what possible, um, I mean, to me, USF has quite a bit of land. They've got all that land in the front. I don't know what they use it for other than a few trees and those grass fields. What what do they intend to build there, or why do they want to develop this? Um, well, I would say, first of all, I think you're absolutely right about the concerns um, for, you know, this, the concerns about climate change for Tampa Bay. And I think that it's really critically important that people understand that the wetlands within the forest preserve are very, very important um, to cleaning Tampa Bay's water. Um, so the Hillsborough River is a, a primary water source, a drinking water source for the Tampa Bay area. And that drinking water is cleaned by these wetlands. So, um, you know, yes, there's fertilizer running into it and a whole host of pollutants coming from roads, coming from houses, fertilizer on lawns. Um, but it's these wetlands that are then able to trap those nutrients and, um, and clean that water that we are then consuming. Um, and that water also is heading out to Tampa Bay. 
And when it meets, for instance, the Piney Point uh, wastewater, it's, it's very important for that water to not be an additional nutrient source, but for it to actually be clean, fresh water so that um, something like Piney Point, God forbid if it happens again, um, that that water can then be pushed off or di- pushed off the coast and diluted. Um, so to your other question, um, actually, would you, rem- would you remind me what that your, your other question was? <laughs> well, it, you know, to me, this is so essential. There is nothing, I mean, we're 70% water. Nothing is important, more important to us than clean, potable water. And I'm just thinking of all the young students, I mean, middle school and oh, young yes. students that yes. really need this information. And they also need the kind of on-hand touch, other words, places to see. And so to right. me, that is an absolute learning laboratory where young minds right. really grasp it totally. And I cannot imagine anything more important. And so why and what on earth is USF planning to do with that space? Right. So at this point, they have been um, very poor at communicating what their intentions truly are. Uh, They released the proposals last Friday, and um, in a statement that is enclosed with those proposals, they say that they're not interested in putting a stadium, for instance, on the land. However, um, several of the proposals that were submitted uh, are for stadiums. They've said in um, meetings with student and faculty representatives that they're not interested in housing. Um, Several of the proposals include uh, intensive housing developments, both on the golf course and on the upland part of the forest preserve. And so the university really has not given us a clear answer what their intentions are um, for developing this land. And you're right that there are other lands that the university owns. Um, you mentioned that um, plot of land that is, I think, at the corner of Bruce B. Downs and Fowler that is mm-hmm. um, essentially an empty lot. And yeah, um, it has a lot across. It's across a huge lot. Yeah. yeah I, I wondered about that. And it's already been cleared. Uh-huh. Interestingly enough, it is remnant sandhill habitat. There are some um, plants on that lot that you typically only find in sandhill, but it's already been cleared. And so, you know, to my mind, and those of us who save the USF Forest Preserve and faculty and students within my department, we cannot understand why the university wouldn't simply be looking at a property that they've already cleared um, that is actually on the campus for, for instance, a research park, which uh, the spokesman for USF, Adam Freeman, has stated uh, several times that whatever they build, it will be, um, you know, it will include new scholarship money, it will bring in new tuition money, it will bring in new research opportunities. Why then wouldn't they put a research facility closer to their other research facilities? In fact, that empty lot is within a research park. You know, putting a research facility on the north side of Fletcher, which is, you know, a 15 minute walk from campus is not um, very accessible to students or faculty. So. They have not been clear. The administration at USF has really not been clear. Um, They have been poor at communicating with students and faculty. They have been poor at communicating with deans. 
they have made this decision to call for proposals. Uh, unilaterally, this decision was made from administration with no input from anyone who does research or teaches at the USF Forest Preserve. In fact, the Dean of College of Arts and Sciences, Eric Eisenberg, wasn't even aware that they had released this proposal until we were told by a reporter. Uh, it brought it to our attention in the Integrative Biology Department. So, uh, you know, it really remains to be seen what the university wants. Well, you know, I remember, I don't know, it was last year when he, he, their pre he, the administration was considering abandoning the Department of Education, which I yes. just was appalled at. I thought, what? I thought of any purpose, you know, the university is to have future teachers. And I right. really could never figure out whether he was trying to rouse the community and to get support. You know, that was almost a red flag that he posted up in order to yeah. get response to that or the response from the community and schools, et cetera, was so overwhelming that that flag went down. And so I was wondering, I thought, is this also a red flag? Uh, because, you know, that actually... I repeat that the University of South Florida is very important to this entire community, not just right. the academic community and the students. And so that tract of land actually is very uh, important to all of us. And so yeah. I, 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 that's why I think I was so glad that the Tampa Bay Times covered it. Uh, I, would, I don't think I would have known about it if that hadn't been the case. Uh, and also, I think it's important for the community to be involved, and so uh, that was another reason I really wanted to talk to you, uh, because I repeat, we have very little green space here, and just the few seconds or minute, whatever it takes to drive by there, is comforting <laughs> in an aesthetic way. And it absolutely that, is. And with the kind of road rage we're seeing, and particularly after COVID, the driving has just gotten dangerous, I find. Uh, I think we need any kind of relief from our stress that we can get. And so, uh, to, to me, it's important that the community is aware of this. And so, I really, I really want to thank you, uh, Jeannie, and all your students and the rest of the faculty are bringing attention to this. So, what can people do? How can they uh, give their opinions? Uh, what, what, what can people do? Well, there are a few things. Uh, so uh, next week we are debuting a documentary that um, has been filmed and produced by um, a, U a recent USF graduate student um, from the Fine Arts Department. That will be premiering at New World Brewery on Tuesday, June 8th at 8 p.m. Um, and then from there we will be uh, debuting a new uh, call campaign as well as an email campaign that we are very eager uh, to have shipped from the whole Tampa Bay community for people to both call. Uh, we have a list of numbers for administrators. Hi, do you email addresses? And okay. so we'll just be, you know, basically blasting their phone lines and their email addresses calling for them to um, call off these uh, proposals and instead to place a conservation easement on the land. Um, because the reality is that this is not the first time USF has um, cooked up an idea to destroy this forest preserve. Um, but what we want is for this to be the last time 
that they do this. We want a conservation easement, which would be um, a legally binding um, document that would protect this land in perpetuity um, so that all future generations of Tampa Bay citizens can um, enjoy the, the ecosystem services and the beauty that this preserve provides. Well, that sounds fantastic. So, uh, Jeannie Munger, uh, she again is a doctoral candidate, Department of, In of, of Integrated Biology at the University of South Florida. And as you can see, that she's very knowledgeable, very passionate. Thank you so much for all you're doing, all you have done, and all you will do, and giving us all this time today, because I know how busy you are. Uh, keep up the great work, okay? Okay, thank you so much. And, oh, I wanted to let people know that they can um, – Find our call and email campaigns if they go to saveusfforestpreserve.com. Saveusfforestpreserve.com. Okay. Thank you so much, Jeannie. You do take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And you are listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota Clearwater, Community Conscious Radio. And you know that I'm so glad, Arlene, because you have been following it, particularly in the Tampa Bay Times, that they have really been covering it so well. And I think it's such a wonderful opportunity for the community to get involved and to realize that it isn't just a USF affair, you know, that really it affects all of us. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because right now, I believe they're called, uh, the head of the thing is, his name is Bonasai, I believe, and it's the Florida Nature Network. Uh, and uh, But also, at the same time, I was reading an obituary of all places in the New York Times of uh, Christopher Stone, uh, a lawyer, academic, and uh, he was actually the son of I.F. Stone, the great muckraker who wrote that uh, incredible weekly uh, letter uh, covering the news. But anyway, uh, that there is a real movement afoot. And seriously, and, and it, it's, not, it's not a joke by any means, uh, giving rights, uh, human rights, to uh, trees, to rivers, to nature, that they have a right to exist, that they have a right to their integrity. They have a right not to be damned or to be levied or whatever. And uh, in fact, in New Zealand, they have passed three very major areas uh, and they have followed the, the directions and the kind of beliefs of the Maori indigenous people in New Zealand. And it's, it's really, I, I think it's a very, very interesting and uh, reflective time that uh, we realize we tend to think that we're the only livers and, you know, than the other animals and the birds, etc. But, you know, if you're really into energy, if you're into DNA and RNA and such things, every single thing is alive. And it's all integrated. And it's not just the Maoris in New Zealand, but it's indigenous people all over the world. They have always been aware of that. That life, the great spirit, whatever you want to call it, is within everything. And you're connected to everything. And so uh, I, think it's, I think it's really important, particularly for the youngsters, for the kids, uh, because they're going to they're gonna be in such a totally different environment than we could possibly ever imagine. And a lot of it's going to be threatening. It really is. It's, it's not always going to, not all just going to be exciting new adventures. I hope that's a lot of it, but it's not going to be all of it. 
And so I just think it's a really important reflective time. And so what do you think? Uh, do you think a tree, an oak tree, or a river has a right to exist, <laughs> has a right uh, for its own integrity? What do you think, Arlene? Oh, I certainly agree. I think that they have a lot more rights than corporations who have been <laughs> declared um, having citizen rights. Who run the show. <laughs> so I think that uh, this is extremely important, and we need to be not only following it, but doing everything we can. And one of the ways that you can learn a little more is by going to the documentary film Tuesday night. The name of it is Choke Point. And it's a short film by Luke Myers, and it will be shown Tuesday at 8 p.m. at the New World Brewery. Oh, okay. Uh, Well-known place for many MNFers. Yes, indeed. Uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. A great chance to learn more. Good. Okay, well, I'm going to put this music on by Laura Love because I'm kind of feeling in that kind of mood. And then uh, we will be coming back with Amy Weintraub. was a giant. It was smaller, much by far, but not quite microscopic. They was Davy, the short one, the big guy was Goliath. I don't read the Bible much, in fact, it's more like never. But I still think it's really cool that Davy kicked his butt. Sometimes Davy
All right. Sometimes Davy wins, although I think we're more in the majority than we are aware. Uh, Arlene, go ahead. I know you have something to say. Right. I just wanted to add one thing to the previous story, and that is that the WMNF News Department actually covered the situation with that forest preserve even before the Tampa Bay Times started covering it. And so kudos to WMNF. Um, we only have two people in that news department, and they work very hard and do a great job. And we have a lot of volunteers yes, who are involved in the community and care very much, and they keep us informed. And that's what WMNF is a tribe. And uh, it's a very important tribe for your voice. And so kudos to WMNF. That's a real treasure to this community. Yeah, something to be proud of. And another uh, treasure to this community, uh, actually, uh, that... Uh, uh, is, is I, I find that uh, Amy Weintraub, the person I have on the phone right now with us, I think it's just a local treasure. Uh, so many times, whether it was organizing the biggest women's march we've ever had in this area, that was such... That was such an absolutely exciting response uh, to Trump's election because women recognized from the start the challenges they were going to have. But Amy has been involved with Planned Parenthood. She has fought for reproductive rights. She's fought for children's rights. And so uh, she's head of, as I say, Progress Florida and just a treasure. So Amy Weintraub, uh, welcome so much to the show. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. And I don't know if you know, but I'm also on the WMNF Community Advisory Board. Oh, good God, good. <laughs> You're a very I, good one to have on it. <laughs> well, I love WMNF. I, and you are a voice for so many of us in our community. And I really appreciate the work that you all do every Thursday morning to lift up the voices of women across our state. Well, it's a privilege, Amy, and it is so important because I realize this country is not going to turn around until its women have total autonomy and you get all the power and all the uh, the creativity and the imagination of women to its fullest force because I do not feel we've seen it yet. And so we can't, we can't. We can't go without it any longer, and so that's why I'm so excited to talk to you. And uh, tell me, uh, Amy, because I know that we were talking women, you're also talking children. And I think some of the things that Biden is doing to reduce poverty in children is so extraordinarily important for this country's future, don't you? Oh, absolutely. His focus on, for example, preschool and what happens to a child to make uh, before before they enter kindergarten, to make sure that they're ready to learn and that they have the resources and the preparation to be, you know, to be productive once they hit, once they hit the, the classroom. And, you know, Amy, I know among all the things you do, you're also very big into yoga. And so I think, you know, I don't, I don't know if you work with any children, but I'd be real curious to see uh, children how they respond, you know, from the get-go when they start to recognize things and start to put connections, you know, between uh, intersectionality, if you will, the early part of it, that they're beginning to connect things into a broader environment. That must be really exciting if you've got really a supportive environment and people that that child is aware that, hey, this is a huge world just waiting for you and we are here to help you in any way we can I'd be curious to know the, how that affects a child's real emotional well-being. For sure. Um, you know, the more confidence a child has in their own skin and their own body, 
the more uh, and that and the more they understand the interdependence that community is, that family is. Um, in the end, the more productive they will be. I mean, that's the theory. And um, the life force and the breath work and all of those things that come with yoga um, are are key can be keys to opening up that understanding. Now, I will mention that there is another Amy Weintraub who is the true yoga master. I enjoy yoga personally, but uh, there's another Amy Weintraub who is the truly a national national yoga teacher and and does great work. And I've met her. We've met each other, which was a lot of fun. But anyway... um, Oh, would be a great person to have on your show in the future. <laughs> well, you know, I I thought it was you, and I I thought, yeah. well, you know, I don't know how I don't know how she finds the time, but but, <laughs> but I thought it makes sense to me, you know, that you bring everything you have. Uh, but also, though, uh, you know, this country is frankly failing. In my opinion, is failing its democracy, is failing its responsibilities. I think to life, if you will, and until until women. Uh, get out under the yoke of oppression, and I'm sorry if they do not have control of their bodies, they are being oppressed. And uh, and I think it's a I think it's a minority of particularly white men. Uh, I mean, let's be frank about it. That's who it is. And uh, tell me, Amy, do you think that they are so consumed with power and so? aware of their limitations that if they don't cheat and use all the measures of oppression they can find against women and other minorities that they don't have the abilities to really lead do, 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 what, what do you think what do you think is their deep motives for Vende? certainly it's they're motivated by fear they're they're motivated they're motivated by fear of no longer being able to command um command the majority of any room as more and more people of color get seats at the table. Certainly as more women get seats at the table, more LGBTQ members of our community get seats at the table. And I think that they they do see the country changing. They see our state of Florida changing and it makes them extremely anxious. I see people motivated by love. And I see people motivated by fear. And I'm afraid the demographics you talked about are, are primarily at this point motivated by fear. And so many of the policies that they've passed here in Florida, the DeSantis has signed into law, they're just so mean-spirited. And they, they, they are simply designed to cut, to cut energy and to cut power um, from, from those of us in the, you know, who are progressive. And it's, it seems that it's all up to us to somehow push this boulder out of the path. And so what can we do, you know, particularly as women, but also a lot of men support it too. They're aware that this is very wrong and, and women's full participation is necessary. What can we do? Well, I think that true culture change happens on the personal level. And so when I... I feel like a lot of the um, the lot of the momentum that I can create comes from one-on-one conversations, talking with my neighbors, talking with people in my community, and, and offering my personal perspective, offering my own life story, and getting them to share too. These one-on-one conversations that happen at the block level, that happen at the precinct level, 
that that is what I think could potentially, you know, really enliven people to get engaged, get involved, to register to vote, to show up at the ballot box, and to support candidates who's, who are representing the values that we hold dear. But, you know, when you have, uh, frankly, a federal court system and a Supreme mm-hmm. Court uh, yeah. that has unfortunately been really rigged, uh, for certain ideological perspectives. Yes. And we've reached the stage that uh, now uh, I think Amy Cohen Barrett is really, you know, that uh, we're looking at the threat to Roe versus Wade, but I'm seeing it far more that the threat is that they are going to say, well, the viability is really no longer a measure of whether you can have an abortion or not. That actually, I see it going back saying that at conception, that is life, and so viability doesn't count anymore. In other words, rather than seeing progress, and I hate to say it, but uh, the courts, the judicial level, are telling women that in some instances they can't take contraceptives, that they can't use IUDs, that they can't use the morning after pills, and they're enforcing it with pharmacies, et cetera, that the, 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 and in spite of all the neighbors we talk to, we are a country run by laws, and frankly, I right now see the federal judiciary is stacked against women. Absolutely, and... The, the fact is, even if they outlaw abortion, which which Roe v. Wade is very likely to be gutted or completely overturned soon, um, women are still going to need abortion. And as you know, as we all know, and that is why it is very, very important that people understand how to acquire abortion medication outside of the traditional medical system, and to be able to do so to do that safely, 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 health wise, and safely. legally, as well as to have the support they need. Um, We cannot, we won't return to pre-1973 America where more, up to 5,000 women died every year from, you know, so-called botched abortions. We can't have that. Their science and technology have brought us much, much better methods that are safe and effective. And so it's important to spread the word about about how to acquire those those, those drugs. And the medical yeah. profession very much supports that. Uh, obstetrics and gynecology, they are very much aware of the necessity for their patients to have all this available. But I'm beginning to wonder, you know, pharmaceutical companies are huge, and they're very, very powerful. So I am beginning to wonder if women shouldn't put power, shouldn't put pressure on pharmaceutical companies also to step forward and say, you know, you're not going to regulate how, how, how people can and doctors can access our medications. And do you think that would be a effective, too, to bring some economic clout into the picture. Yes. Um, medication, the uh, mifepristone, which is the primary uh, drug used in most, um, in most medication abortions, it is so highly regulated, though, by the FDA that we also need to be applying pressure there, which now that we have, you know, we have uh, Biden and Harris in the White, White House, um, we do have some power behind us to really, really push the FDA to lift the regulations on that drug. Currently, they it can, it, it can, in the United States, it's only supposed to be offered 
for, by a physician to a patient directly. That is, you cannot get it at the drugstore. This is a ridiculous requirement because it is safer than Tylenol. It's safer than Viagra. It's safer than penicillin, all drugs that are commonly available. The pressure on the FDA, pressure on the pharmaceutical companies, and pressure on insurance companies to cover it, all of those things would go a long way. And to reduce the stigma around abortion and to make it more accessible. Well, and I think it's important for women to really be aware of that because it seems, you know, that just trying to battle against Congress and and uh, the courts is is pretty ineffective. There, it's not a, it's not an even balance. But against the, the economic interests, I, I think there's far more tangible things that you really can do. And and so I think that's really important to do that. And I wish we didn't have to fight, but we do. You know, that's just the nature right. of the game. We have Progress Florida, where I work. We have a current campaign to influence the FDA to uh, lift the regulations. We also have a training coming up on self-managed abortion, safe and supported. Um, do you all have a web page? Could I send links to you to, to add in case your listeners are interested in finding out more about those? Yeah, and uh, the station has its own web page too, but we do too. Arlene? You know, there, there are two places, Amy, that would be good to send links to. One is to From a Woman's Point of View, yeah, and that's a, a good web. That's our organization web page, but actually, my web page is pretty much a web page for this organization, and that's Arlene Engelhart. I will send it to those places so that listeners can find out details Great. on those on the campaign and on the event. And Amy, as I said, you're in charge of Progress Florida, and you are your organization is into so many issues. And tell me, uh, particularly in this state too, they're trying to the in, infringement and trying to suppress voting, uh, which is is certainly we're watching in Texas, but all in Arizona, watching all over the country. This has to be very high on your agenda right now, isn't it? Oh. We are extremely concerned about the efforts to roll back, to roll back our abilities to uh, gather in public protest. We're very concerned about rollbacks on voting rights. It is these undemocratic, un-American forces that are at work here. It just takes my breath away. Yeah, and, you know, at the same time, you know, they're trying to pass in Congress. It's passed in House, in the House. Uh, but we're quite aware in the Senate, uh, unless Manchin or uh, Sinena, whatever her name is in Arizona, have a change of heart, uh, it, 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 I'm not sure it's going to pass. I mean, it's hard to right. imagine, uh, but uh, that seems to be uh, such a threat. And so here again, you know, I'm watching this count of the, the ninja, the ninjas in, in Arizona. And you know, I, I don't know if you know, Amy, I, I'm, I'm curious to know, is it legal for these groups that are supposed self-proclaimed experts to go in and tamper with ballots? How, how do they get access to ballots? And if they do, why aren't there counter people who are just as concerned that there wasn't any fraud, that there were no problems? So I'm real curious, how do they get access to the actual ballots, particularly being they, they, they I, I don't trust that they don't want to change them. I don't know. I, I also am, am, am flummoxed by this. How, how have they had access and where is, where is the Democratic Party and the poll watchers in that state? What are their, you know, what is their function? Is it, why aren't, isn't there representation? I'm confused about that. 
I am too. And, and, and tell me, how, how can we put pressure on that? Or because I've really been trying to find that out. To me, that I, I I just don't think there should be unlimited access to anybody, and or it should be at least equal. How, how do you think we can find out? Oh. I think they call you know contacting the supervisor of election or whatever they're called there. Um, so it would be the place to find out about basic policy um, around who ha- who can access who can access ballots, who's allowed to be in the room when counting is happening and that sort of thing. And it doesn't seem that here in Florida we have that problem, at least not here in Pinellas County where I am. What's your impression of that? No, I don't think so, but I guess I'm worried that it's going to spread. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of like Alec revisited, you know, and they, we, they yeah. would have their talking points each day that would go out, and no matter where they were, whatever state they were in, if they were Republicans, they would have these talking points. And, exactly. uh, you know, that, that kind of a coordination just kind of gave a hammering effect of just over and over, and you, you hear the lie over and over again, you begin to accept that it has to be true, or we, I wouldn't exactly. keep hearing it. I mean, it's it's pretty serious psychology. And so, and also, I think that this, this effort in every way to deny, so to speak, uh, the personhood of minorities, you know, by all the, the measures they're trying to make to have this kind of ID available, and, uh, you know, that where they can get it, that, you know, you, you can't be automatically registered if you get your driver's license, et cetera. But all of this requirements for ID, you know, whether it's picture or whatever, if they're allowed to go through with that, I see them making it more and more stringent and more and more difficult, if you will, to prove that you actually exist. And does that worry you at all? For sure. These regressive voting laws, it takes us back to, you know, Jim Crow era where, it, and, and it's so clear to, I'm sure to you, as it is me, that these are efforts to suppress certain votes from certain demographics. People who have people who don't have access to vehicles so that they can easily get to the DMV. People who don't have the resources, the money, the knowledge to find out where to get it. Don't have the capacity to um, have the documents that are necessary to acquire an ID. All of these things um, are are ways to suppress to suppress the vote. It is it is so obvious. And yet it is happening before our eyes. And Unbelievable. I think a really important area, actually, that's happening before our eyes, is the effort to write history. You know, that, that we, mm-hmm. we all know that history on the whole is written by the winners or the people yeah. in power. And so one always looks at history and tries to get all the data you can. And, uh, you know, that this effort to say that this kind in other words, uh, you know, the push has come to shove. That, you know, was slavery part of the American experiment, so to speak, from the get-go? And in all fairness, one has to remember, I think Nastassi Coates actually named his uh, son after Samori, the great African, uh, you know, who actually was a huge slaver there because he wanted him to always be aware that, you know, it's not, it's a complicated question. And so, to me, what is taught in the schools and what is accepted as history is really important. And so, how are you seeing this? Well, 
I um, definitely have noticed terrible pushback against um, teaching about race from a critical perspective, teaching um, about slavery as some as you know a, a, a terrible chapter in our history. Um, it I don't I do not understand how black voices can you know continually be silenced not only, you know, in general in our democracy, but, but actually in teaching about what happened, what's happened. You know, there is like um, the lived experience of, of the black communities in our country, not just black communities, but also indigenous communities and Latin communities. Um, it's as if these same people who are in charge, who we were talking about earlier, they just don't want to hear about it. It makes them feel bad. It makes them feel fear, and they and they don't want they don't want children to consider these. Yeah, and you know this was not an empty land. Uh, when the second and third sons of, you know, wealthy uh, Europeans who could not inherit the estate uh, came, went a-wandering to try and get gold in other places or whatever. Uh, and so this was not an empty land when they came. <laughs> and yet in, what, 1960, we, we were down to about 200,000 Native Americans. I mean, there was a total genocide. And I'll go back even a little further to the annihilation of the millions of women in Europe, particularly. We had a little bit of it in this country that were, quotes the witches, but actually were the midwives. They were the repositories of herbal treatments and natural effects. And they, they were eliminated in the most horrible way by the yeah. millions. And to me, that's connected in history. And it's ignored totally. And it is urgent that we have conversations about these issues in the in you know in our homes and our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and certainly in our classrooms. We need to have conversations about race and racism and about gender and about and about all of the the contemporary issues and to hide it and to pretend that it doesn't exist will get will we'll make no progress as a society. But well, it feels like that's what is being attempted. Yeah, and, you know, to try and act like our Constitution is like the, you know, the stones of Moses, you know. I, I, I mean, you know, when, when you write an initial document on how you're going to, you know, kind of exist among yourselves, etc., I can't imagine any of the writers of the Constitution expected every single word of that to be taken as sacred and original and to be followed for all time. Uh, and it, to me, it's such a rigid, and obviously, if you've been advantaged by that, you're certainly going to fight for that. But if you want a society to grow and to be able to actually evolve and constantly keep growing, uh, you've got to respond to the exigencies of the times and the people and, and what's happening. And to me, it's just really fearful, really, and cowardly, and just a naked attempt at power. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's not worthy of a great nation. And Amy, I, I am looking at the time. And so we've covered a lot, but we, there's a lot we haven't covered. What do you particularly want to uh, cover that we haven't mentioned? Um, just to point out something very important that happened yesterday, which the, was that there was, um, as part of the state budget, there was an awesome measure to fund $4 million into a contraceptive program, long-acting reversible contraceptive. And um, this would have 
done marvels to help women and to prevent pregnancy, unintended pregnancy. Well, guess what? Governor DeSantis line item vetoed that program. And this is just an example of the hypocrisy that he claims that he, you know, abortion is such a menace to our society, yet something that would have prevented it, he crossed it off. It is, this is the kind of thing we're dealing with. And what can people do? We can, we can push hard that next year it passes the legislature. It's not just part of the budget. It actually had bipartisan support. It was sponsored by one of the most anti-abortion legislators this, this year, which was amazing. So we've got to get behind it in 2022. Okay, Amy. So how can people follow Progress Florida? Oh, please find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, also at progressflorida.org, you'll find us our website. We would love, love, love to have your interest and your support. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy Weintraub. All you do, you have done, and you will do. Thank you so much. I repeat, you are an absolute treasure in our community. You do right, take care. Up. Okay? You too. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. And Arlene? Oh, she said it like it is, and it's another very, very important local person. It's just there's so much we have to do and so much that isn't being done in our society. Okay, well, thanks so much for listening. That's our show today, and uh, just keep supporting this radio station, and you are the best. You are you out there all listening, you really are the radio station. And so let's go out with Ruthie Foster. I love this based on the poem by Maya Angelou. Can't get much better than that. So let's hear Ruthie Foster. Radio. Keep it tuned here all day, people. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute, I built a suit, a fashion model size. When I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. Oh, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride in my steps, the curl of my lips. Phenomenal woman. My 